Hello and welcome to the Ratness Podcast, episode number 38 with Bluebird. Hey! hey! What up, dude? What's Good up? to see What's you, up? bro. What's up? What's up, dude? 38. This is season two, yeah? Season two, yes. episode 38. Come, you're helping us round out that final stretch. Yeah, we're almost at my age. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is funny um, because when I was looking at your shit, you started putting singles out in like 2000. Um, yeah. And so Ish. Yeah, yeah. I was like, he was either our age in high school, like junior high, freshman in high school, or old as fuck. Or he's just a little older, but that, <laughs> yeah, now you put it together. All right, I'm glad you divulged that, yeah. and I didn't have to ask you how old you were. Old as fuck, yes. <laughs> OAF. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, so why don't you give us a quick introduction, let us know who you are, let, let everybody know uh, why you're here. My name is Jacques, uh, a.k.a. Bluebird. I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I've uh, lived in many places. I guess I'm mostly known for rapping under the name Bluebird. We met back in the day through Grim Image Records out in San Bernardino, which I released an album called Swashbuckling Napoleons on. Uh, The album album. title was called Fuck, uh, (laughs) for good reason. Um, I think you maybe remember those reasons. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, That was with my partner, Thesis Sahib, who uh, lives in London, Ontario, a.k.a. James Kirkpatrick. He's Mm -hmm. a really awesome uh, visual artist as well as a rapper shit sculptor a little bit of everything oh yeah his stuff um, is dope that circuit bending music yeah. like he, he yeah like interactive art combined yeah, with man. circuit bending and uh you know super cool i've always been fascinated with his shit um i lost my train of thought yeah that's how we met was through the squash buckle <laughs> napoleons uh through grim image to which i also had the Freebird project where i used to drive this rv dude let's talk the country, about that. playing shows little gorilla shows interviews stuff like that Yo, he was um, kind of. Jim was telling me about this earlier. You used to have a a van that you converted to have a little stage on the side, and you just break no, out like parking lot. I just bolted like a twelve channel mixer to the wall on the inside and two like Mackie M8s, so I had like a little performance space inside, like where I slept and lived and ate. Um, and I would play shows myself, but I would also have other artists play shows and conduct interviews. It was way too ahead of its time because honestly, I had no fucking clue what I was doing. Um, I love kind of put it. I had the idea and they, you know, allowed me to do it. And I just had a, I bought a MacBook pro and two HD flip cams. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The little ones with the USB stick. And the I just like HD. taught myself how to use iMovie and just kind of tried to make a show out of it all on my own. And, uh, you know, it was a huge undertaking. Yeah. That dude, this was, so that's like early 2000s. You were just cruising the country. Like, no, that was what year was that? That was like when Grim Image was active, like two thousand thirteen. It was between yeah, two, yeah two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, like eleven, twelve okay. around that time that I was doing that. So you're just cruising, no, no, no plan, just kind of seeing where it, it goes. It, it stemmed from you know I had been touring for years and years, and I was never able to really sustain it. There was always holes in the tours, and that's kind of how I used to like it. So I was like, well, what if it didn't matter if I had the holes? And when I so I would book like loose shows if I could get them. I'd get like these anchor points all around the country and up into Canada, and then when I had time in between them, I would just make shit up. Either if it was rolling up to a show that was already happening and doing like a gorilla show or passing through a town where I knew somebody and I would do an interview, whether it was a local business or a venue, skate shop, artist, anything. Um, and just, you know, do these interviews and upload these videos to YouTube, kind of like a travel show, but there was like pre Instagram, pre stories, pre all that shit. 
Dude, I remember when I first got on Grim, uh, I was chatting with everybody and they were like, yeah, we got this dude. Do explain to me the free bird, the whole concept and what you were doing. And I was like blown away. Like, hold on. He's just living in a van, rocking shows in parking lots, like just doing whatever he wants. Like how, how the hell does that work? And they're like, I don't know. He does it though. Like some sort of yeah. genius, bro. He just knows you know, what he's doing. All to long hair. That's how it worked. You know? Yeah, uh, true. Dude, he shout out to was just like, dude was just making dreams happen, you know, Seriously. And, uh, he was a homie and a big fan. And he basically was like, what do you want to do? We could do anything. And you know, I had, I was like, we can make an album. I've made tons of albums. We could do this. But I was like, I want to do something different. I want to like live this. And he just looked at me and said, let's do it. And just, we made it happen. It was fucking crazy. It was a dream come true. You know, it was the experience of a lifetime. It was pretty wild. Had, had you had, sorry, had you had any, uh, experience with touring um with like groups and stuff or other people is this like the first solo oh, mission you went on had you traveled before yeah yeah i've traveled extensively i pretty much like before i even started releasing albums i was touring as a like a merch guy and a driver for a band called grand buffet from pittsburgh it was a two-man rap group um and i had like i had a rap rock band in 99 you know and like i I dropped out of college, sold my car, broke up with my girlfriend, broke my lease, and like jumped in an RV with a bunch of dudes and like dreaded my hair and the life. Um, yeah, and so that I had been like it was deeply ingrained. Um, been touring overseas in the United States, whether in groups by myself in cars with a couple guys, like the works. Did you find it easier that you were by yourself as opposed to being with other people, or was it the opposite? Yeah. And the cool thing is I wasn't necessarily by myself the whole time. I would like fly people in or pick people up and bring them for intervals. Um, That's you cool. know, I brought my, like a, a, the first rule I, I was, I was kind of nervous to go out on my own with the RV the first time. So for the first couple of weeks, I brought my homie harpoon. Larry was like a tour manager and like, so he helped me drive while I could film and like that kind of shit. And then I brought other artists with me, K the I, Doug Yuck, Babblefish, bunch of dudes brought it even like visual artists that would just kind of jump in with me for a little bit my friend lucian shapiro you know would meet me at different places and uh kind of roll for a couple of days or i would pick them up and drop them off it was just whatever was convenient whatever worked awesome dude. yeah that's dope dude that's like that's everyone's dream until Heck they do yeah. it and then they're like right. why the fuck am i doing this this is insane yeah yeah you're like who took a shit in this fucking toilet now i gotta find a fucking place to go pay to empty it and it's three o'clock in the morning and nobody likes the look as of any of us you know like <laughs> yeah dude and yeah. it's wild and like i was asking because we've we've done some touring and stuff and even at you know a week in the car with your close friends and you guys are at each other's throats and shit like you never know like how the dynamic's gonna be that day oh yeah man i've done like two months in a honda element with four dudes you know <laughs> sleeping right side up you know breathing each other's farts all that mm -hmm. i traveled in a van with a bunch of french dudes who smoke cigarettes with the windows up you know like it's I've done wow. it. <laughs> yo those are the best memories though like in the moment there's a lot of suffer but with a memory you don't remember any of that like or if you yeah. do it doesn't feel the same you only remember the awesome time you know only the good times yeah yeah absolutely that's super yeah, cool. Yeah, being man. sick on tour is the worst, you know, like, oh, I, I remember nights where I was so sick and we like, you know, we just had no money and we like literally split the door money, which was like, I don't know, $17 that we got paid to like <laughs> buy some NyQuil so we could chug it to go to sleep in the car sick, you know, the next day, Dang. all that shit. Yeah, dude. Well, you started touring like Europe a lot. You said you were with a bunch yeah. of Frenchmen, like you were over in Europe. You've got a pretty decent following over there, huh? 
Yeah, man, it always uh, was more fruitful over there. I always got a better response and uh, I started early. Um, so my first tours there, uh, Sloppy Doctor, which was my first like official Bluebird EP came out in 2003. And I was already touring in 2002 in Europe. Um, and I actually lived in Berlin for a year too. I think it was 2007 or 2008 because I was traveling there so much um, that I just decided to make the jump. I actually lived in Montreal for two years, but I was illegal. And so from there, I moved to Berlin where I have an Italian passport. So I was able to actually operate legally in Berlin. And okay. that was fucking awesome as well. So how much did living over in Europe and kind of, it sounds like even just kind of starting your career over there, how much did that influence your style? Because your style is wild and super unique and like outside the box in such a good, like every good way that it can be. Like how much Thank did you. that European influence you? Um, I mean, it completely changed everything for me. I mean, uh, living in Montreal was very awesome because it's a super European like city. I think it was like the closest you can get to Europe in North America. Um, so making the jump to Europe, I'd already been going two or three times a year. Um, but I was very heavily influenced um, by the artists. Coincidentally, a lot of the artists I was like meeting up with were Americans, Canadians, mm -hmm. um, as well as Europeans. But the, I think it's like the appreciation that the European people had for the artists super influenced me because sure. that was kind of mind blowing. Um, just seeing it, not only like the love and the appreciation they had, but also like the financial support, you know, there's countries that like make it possible for someone to be an artist, but not just an artist. If you want to be a sound engineer or a dancer or a lighting engineer, like that's completely possible. And even in like a small town, there's organizations that will pay or even the government that will literally pay for you to ex exist as a sound engineer, which is fucking awesome because you know how hard that is to figure out in the sure. United States. Absolutely. Hell yeah. 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 You're just kind of on your own, you know, which, you know, that's fine too, but uh, it really just changed my perspective on everything. Hell yeah, dude. It sure does. One of the artists that we interview on here and we, we actually sell, uh, distribute his books up here as his U S um, distributor he actually gets a grant from Mexico from the government and lives as an artist just to paint and to create and to do all of these like murals and projects. And it, it, he said, it's the most amazing thing. He's like, we, we don't understand why U S doesn't have something more like that or more prevalent, you know? Same, same Canada, Mexico, you know, France, Germany, all those countries are super supportive of their art scenes. And that's why you see so many like rad artists come from those countries because they can actually, live off their art yeah. know, with a little bit of help and assistance granted they do make them work hard for it which like i appreciate like in france if you want to like say exist as a touring artist um they make you that you like you have to be out performing a certain amount of days per year and mm -hmm. it's a lot like you got to be on the road for six months but then the the days that you're not on the road they actually like cut you a paycheck for existing while not getting paid to be on the road so yeah, it makes it, you know, financially viable, but they're like, you're going to fucking work for it. Hell yeah. That's awesome though, because I think as a performer, like an artist, you want to do that and you're not, yeah. you're not always self-motivated to do that. So if you were, sure. if you were getting assistance and like, you didn't have to worry about being a bar back and a dishwasher and whatever mm -hmm. else to like make music or make art. Uh, maybe you would just have a little bit more of that like drive. You're like, all right, I got to fucking do this. Like I got to be out on the road. It is what it is to get paid. It is your job yeah. at that point. Whereas like, it's yeah. always a hustle for us in America as like an artist to try to like exist. 
Yeah. And then, you know, you get home from your fucking 12 hour barback shift and it's hard to put your headphones on and mix that track. You know, you just want to like fucking veg out, watch, you know, fall asleep, whatever, do or spend some time with your family, everything you have to do. And then you also have to find the time for, you know, making the art and you're not always going to be in the mood for that too. So if you only have these like small windows, um, you know, but there is something to be said with the struggle. I personally feel like most of my best art came from the years when I was struggling and when I was living, you know? Yes. That's a recurring theme. Like we hear from all the time. I I experienced the same thing. It's like the most poor, the most like where I don't know where like the next day is like where I'm going to get the money to pay rent or food or whatever. Yeah. I paint the most thin and they might not, it might not be my best work, but it's the, when I make the most work, churning it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels the best too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it gets your mind off. It it is so therapeutic. It gets your mind off of everything else. Cause it's the only thing, I mean, I mean, just besides what booze and alcohol and um, drugs, it's like, what else can you clear your mind with where you don't think of anything else? Like exercise, exercise. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Art, you know, like those kind of things is like the most natural therapeutic thing. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit to something that you've been doing, uh, on Instagram and it's the beer tours. Number one, bro. <laughs> That's been a little bit. It's been a little bit since I've done one of those. I, when you were doing those, bro, it was like, I, I couldn't get enough. I, I would open that up and see a new one. And I'd be like, hell yeah, I got to see this again. You had me cracking up and I know I wasn't the only one, bro. How no, did man, you- people honestly, um, like before that I have been, I've been working in the beer industry for a while now on and off. Uh, I had the, I just got lucky and met these dudes who owned a really rad craft beer bar called laser wolf. And, uh, they partnered with some guys years later and built a brewery called invasive species brewing, which is where I now work. And, uh, I don't know, for the past like seven years, these dudes have always like given me a job when I needed it, let me go on tour when I needed to, given me my job back when I came back. That's awesome. Um, But for a while, I was also like on salary working for Laser Wolf, doing their social media and event promotion and marketing, stuff like that. So I I definitely dug very deeply into the craft beer world. Um, And Invasive Species is just a fucking awesome place to work. And I found myself making those videos when I'd come into work early, there was nobody there. I'd get a little stoned, set up the bar and then be like, how the fuck, you know, do you guys work in the bar industry or have you worked in the bar industry? Yeah, man. For like career. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the homie who's like every day, they're like, come see me. (laughs) Fucking say, yo, I'm working today. Come see me. So I was just trying to have some fun. Uh, while also letting the homies know that I was working that day. And that's what the beer tours. Number one came out of. Dude, that shit um, is funny. He, he showed me it, and I was like, all right. And then I, the more I watched it, I was like, this is great. Like, this is very funny. Uh, people would hit me up from like breweries all over the place. People that worked in the beer industry that I didn't even know were like friends of friends. And just like, yo, this shit is awesome. And for a while I did have some plans to like try to expand on the character um, and do it like at some other breweries. There was a point in the middle where I was doing it. I was on tour in check in Prague. And I was like sitting in this brewery and check and like looking, it was a small brewery like mine and like watching the dudes working in the back and being like, how can I approach them to ask if I could do this without sounding like super offensive? Yeah. The accent kind of sounds like I'm making fun of them. Sure. And I, I, I never actually got to do it. Cause I was like, I don't want to offend these dudes. Like it's just not that worth it. The political uh, climate right now doesn't, doesn't really lend to that kind of humor right now. I feel absolutely, you. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. But it is funny because I was like, it, is he Italian? Like I, I had to like think about it. You know what I mean? I was like, he probably is because 
you know, he's throwing this accent out there like, this, you know, it's funny. It's it's not offensive to you, like, doing it, right? It's like, I'm just having yeah. a good time. It's a joke. No, not to me. And, like, I am, my father is from Italy. Um, But, like, it was just, like, a mix of Eastern European, Italian. Yeah, it would yeah, kind yeah. of morph all over the place. It's you a know? hilarious character is what it is. Because there's yeah. not one single place. It's like, it sounds like all of them. You know what I mean? It's an Jark amalgamation. His name, J-A-R-Q. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that stuff was hilarious bro and that just speaks to your like your creative ability because it wasn't just the accent it wasn't just like oh i'm in a brewery there it was hilarious you point at a swordfish and you're like jacques Cousteau. no you scotty pippen scotty pippen yeah and it, it's just oh man a yeah. friend of mine actually illustrated that and we've talked about getting it tattooed it's dude. just that that big that, fish and it says scotty pippen that shit got right. me dude it was very i that was the line i was like all right i get it yeah. uh, but no it's funny too because you did you do it by yourself you shot it and it like edited it and did all that yeah or? yeah just you know i would just shoot it and edit it really quick it's before my shift started and very well put together kudos thank sir you. yeah thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'll uh, put the link in the, in the description. This is going to be the only thing we link you to is that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's our number one. There it is. But yeah, it, just the environment changed a little bit. Um, the brewery started getting super popular and got very serious. So whereas it used to be very laid back and, and there'd be nobody in there when I got there. Now, every day I get there, you know, my buddies are brewing and there's a lot going on. They're canning. It's noisy. Before it was just like, oh, I'm fucking here by myself for 20 minutes. Let me have some fun. And uh, now it's just a little bit, it's not as much, it's a different environment. So yeah. I'm just like, I tried to continue and I just kind of lost the voice and uh, just kind of let it rest at that point. You know, yeah. it's funny how that happens too. like the, just the, the feeling, or like you said, the vibe of the, of the place completely took away that kind of creativity. You know, it, you yeah. used to, it just <laughs> seemed like it flowed out when you got there. And as soon as that peacefulness or that like self or so, solo atmosphere is gone, that character is gone. Yeah, 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 it's a bummer, but that's kind of what happened, you know. But I think that speaks to like how cre how creativity and making art or making any sort of creative process works. Like it's there, and you, it's like a muse. You know what I mean? It, you embody that muse for a while, and you let it out. And I'm I guarantee that that character helped th with that boost in the invasive species brewing, like. Yeah, for sure. People loved it. And like, man, people would just come into the bar and I'd be working and, and I'd be like super busy. Hey, like, you know, what can I get you guys? And they would just be looking at me and laughing. And I'd be like, <laughs> what, motherfucker? Don't you want a beer? And they're like, you're that guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So what the fuck do you want to drink? Yeah. I got like 15 people out, you know? That's funny, man. Oh, man, that's really good. Yeah, so, um, I mean, to touch on your background, since we haven't talked about it, you're you're in Florida. So that's a nice like yes. local uh, beach vibe for you. Yeah, for sure. Did you you grew up there? You're like you just like spent your whole life. Yeah, there? born and raised. You know, aside from uh, born and raised in South Florida, I lived up in Central Florida. I tried to go to school and ended up quitting and getting into music up in Orlando. Um, and like I said, I lived in Montreal for two years, then in Berlin right. for a year. But then after that, I've been back here ever since. Got you. Yeah, it's like yeah. kind of like a, okay. it's like hometown. Like tra you travel. I've never lived. I lived in San Diego and San Bernardino. And those are the only two places like I've ever lived in my life. Two spots, you know, and they're, they're an yeah. hour and a half away. So it's, <laughs> it could be said that you know it's basically the same vibe. Uh, it's a little different yeah, vibe. A little but, different. Uh, I know San Bernardino. I've seen the the dark underbelly of San Bernardino as well. Uh -huh. <laughs> the right spots, you know. I've seen it all. It's it's a wild place, and the more I think about it, as I get older, I'm like, damn, it is a wild place. The high school I went to was pretty nuts. Like 
everything is crazy. But when you're a kid, you don't look at it like that. It's just every day, right? So it's just like, life, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, like, yeah, is Florida that, that vibe where you're like, damn, it was crazy around here when you go and travel and see, like, how other people live? It took, yeah, it took me a little bit because obviously it just seemed normal. But even just like moving to Canada and uh, people being like slightly weirded out that I carried a knife in my pocket. I'm just like, it's a knife, man. Everybody's got a knife. Every, you know, mm-hmm. little kids have knives in Florida. Everyone has a <laughs> knife in their pocket. And they're just like, nobody, why do you have a knife? And I was like, I don't know. What if my shoe gets caught on a tree and I got to cut my laces off or mm-hmm. if I have to stab a mugger? I mean, you know, it's just, <laughs> it is what it is. Exactly. That's normal. Yeah. And I, you know, and I gotta say, I always wanted to run away from Florida as soon as I grew up and started getting into the arts and started traveling and especially going to Europe. And I was like, shit, I need to get the fuck out of here. This place sucks. South Florida sucks. There's nothing cool happening. Um, but I realized after I left for a few years that the people who stuck it out started doing things to change that they started opening businesses. So all of a sudden, like I moved back. And my homies own the record store, the cafe, the beer bar, the venue, you know, and then it yeah. starts to become a completely different place. And honestly, it takes those people to stick it out and make it cool rather than run away to New York or Atlanta or yep. L.A. or all, you know, all the other cities. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I mean, I'm, every 18 year old feels like I got to get out of this place. I'm done with high school. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm leaving. I've said this a billion times. That's what I did. I moved to San Diego yeah. when I was like 18 and I lived there for like 15 years. And then I come back and like you said, my buddies, you know, they're owning the restaurants and the, the, uh, a plant shop and like, just they're involved in the music and the art scene and like they're doing stuff and it's like, be the change you want to see, I guess. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but, and I, and I do appreciate that people want to leave, but you know, people are going to come back, especially if they got roots or family. Um, that's what I always liked about the Australian culture is like when they graduate high school, the thing is to leave for a year, like leave country. That's like the, the thing. Instead of like go to college or go get a job, they're like go see what else is out there and then come back and figure out what the fuck you want to do. And I just think that makes for like a, a, well, a more well-rounded person, you know, get out of there for a little bit at least. But, you know, don't say fuck it. I'm leaving this place. It's the worst unless it really is. You know? Well, I mean, here, <clears throat> excuse me, around here, I, I'm guilty of this and I know a lot of people who are, they're like, Grew up in San Bernardino, Inland Empire. Fuck this place, I'm out. Like, I'm leaving. And you, sure. leave, you leave for a year or two, and you just, you come back. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's always you back in. Yeah, right? there's like magnetism to the place, you know? And uh, yeah. it's it sucks because there's so much terrible here. Like, all the the violence and, and all, the, all the negative underbelly that you were mentioning earlier. But it's still yeah. such a beautiful place. The mountains, it's an hour from the beach, like, right in the desert, like, yeah the place brings you back not the people you know what i mean and then you just there's beauty yeah yeah and then you learn to deal with the people and and then you find like the ones you're you guys are talking about that are making the difference the change and as soon as you get involved with that that's when an entire community can be begin to change and and for the positive yeah. yeah you just gotta find your people you know i think that's that's what it comes down to Absolutely, man. And it sounds like you're trying to make your mark on the little entrepreneur uh, side of things down there, too, to help that community with anti-hate adventure boys. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I am. I'm trying, man. I love the name. It's it's like very obvious what you guys are about in the name. I like things like that. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about a little bit? So uh, Ahab is like, uh, uh, you know, as you said, it's an anti-hate outdoor clothing brand and it was born out of uh 
you know, during quarantine, it's been a crazy few years for everybody. Um, and during quarantine, just out of a lack of things to do, I started going outdoors a lot more because it was one of the only things you could do. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, I've always been like, you know, I ride my bike. I like to kayak. I'm not like an outdoor person. There's people who I feel like define themselves as an outdoor person. And that's like the focus of their every being is definitely not me. But I, you know, I live in Florida. Like you said, you got the mountains, you got the beach, same for here, you know, no mountains, but there's rivers, there's swamps, there's bike trails. There's so much to see here. Yeah. So during quarantine, I started exploring that a little bit more uh, with homies of mine. And as I did that, I was like, shit, I should probably get some like proper outerwear to wear. You know, I need a fucking shirt to protect me from the sun, that kind of stuff. And as I looked around, I realized uh, there really wasn't anything in that space that was like catered to a person like me mm. um, who doesn't necessarily define themselves as an outdoor, as an outdoorsman. Um, but also just appreciates the outdoors, but also maybe has a little bit of style or likes a certain <laughs> yeah. aesthetic, you know? Um, and, and I don't just want like a fucking emblazoned sailfish, you know, or right. a goddamn <laughs> rebel flag, which is what you see a lot in Florida. Oh, and so, yeah. I, you know, I took that idea and, I, and I, I wanted to build on top of it and said also like the message, like a positive message of anti-hate is definitely not represented out in the wild. Um, so I combined those things and originally didn't want it to be a brand. I was just going to do like a merch drop. I was going to make a few, you know, a few items and just kind of drop it through the bluebird. Um, so I got a friend of mine named Andy McAlpine, who is a designer, an Australian dude living in Amsterdam. Um, he's done so a bunch of design work for a, a lot of friends of mine in the past. And I, you know, pitched the idea to him and we talked about some ideas and he came up with all these amazing designs. And I put it together as a merch drop and it was so successful that I decided to try to turn it into a real thing. Um, and so what I do is it's an outdoor brand and I take a portion of the proceeds and I donate them to local and national organizations that I feel are also pushing the same message of anti-hate. Um, be it like a local organization helping underserved youth to young politicians or the ACLU. I started with nationals, but now I've been working more with locals. Cool. And now, miraculously, I somehow reached out to all these skaters in Zambia, which is like in Northwest Africa. And I'm working with two different like youth-run grassroots organizations there. Um, one where I raised a little bit of money to send them skate shoes. And then this other skate park called We Skate Mongu. My latest project is I had an artist design a tote bag dedicated to them. And I'm donating 100% of the proceeds to this skate park slash organization that basically like takes kids with nothing to do and teaches them how to skate and gives them a, a place to be. Dude, that is awesome. That's so dope, dude. I mean, oh, yeah. skateboarding saved my life. Like as a kid, you know what I mean? Like, right. right? That's, that's amazing, bro. That's so fucking yeah. cool. I had no, I, I hadn't seen that on any of the stuff that I looked up, you know, before. Yeah, it's the latest. I just launched that project a few weeks ago. Um, and it's the first thing that I've done. That's hundred percent of the proceeds. And, um, I just felt like, man, I came across these dudes and, you know, started talking to them and I was like, this is the coolest, most inspirational shit I've seen. And it's definitely a far leap from Florida to Zambia, but you know, that's the beauty of the internet. Uh, we were able to just collaborate and make it happen and like what they're doing. It's yeah. just such a rad project, man. That is really dope, man. That is really cool. Kudos to you for, for being, you. being that type of philanthropist. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not just about a local philanthropist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody's got to, you know, it says a lot, man. And you know what I mean? Like, it's like, we don't make a lot of money, but if there's something we could do to help out and do that kind of thing, I mean, yeah. it means a lot to everybody. 
Yeah, man. Thank you. And and that's like, uh, I think when the pandemic hit, it has a lot to do with why I'm not like super actively making music right now. Um, just my priorities changed, you know, my, my lifestyle, my position in life changed and a lot of things changed for me and it just kind of shifted. And for me, I needed something to focus my energy on. And I kind of, for a long time had that, you know, artist imposter syndrome, but also just felt super selfish. Like I was always like, check out what I'm doing, check out my thing, me, me. So I was like, I want to, this is still something that's very me, but I get to help people doing it. Mm -hmm. And it just feels great. Um, so it's just been the thing that I've been most focused on. And sorry, some, some noises were coming. All good, dude. No, that's awesome, man. That's good to hear. I, I love being involved on like a, a small level, anything possible. You know what I mean? Like yeah, when we've done shows and stuff in the past, uh, we always kick proceeds to like City of Hope or like something that provides, you know, uh, a good cause, especially for kids. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I it, love to hear it, you man. Know, it's you, amazing. You mix kids and skateboarding, and it's like, dude, that's what everyone needs. And and you see the effects now. It, I don't know if you still follow skating a lot. I do, but uh, you know, a lot of this younger generation, it, it's international. Whereas mm -hmm. before, countries in South America and Asia and stuff didn't have any skate parks. Not at all. You know, it was it was unheard of. And they, now you see it from almost every every country. You have pros coming out that are competing on an insane level. Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, the Olympics was crazy. And yeah. uh, the youth is just wild. And there's all these great organizations like Skate for Change and Wonders Around the World. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are they're literally going into these places and like raising money to build skate parks. And, uh, you know, now that I came upon the Mongo guys, it's just like, I keep seeing them now in all these different countries in Africa, South America, I mean, everywhere, even in the Middle East, you know, I believe there was just one built in Baghdad. That's super oh, rad, you know. That's real cool. In, in the, the case of uh, Mongo, the guy who founded it, Johnny Kalenga, it's like, a, he's like a, he was like 19 when he founded it. He was like a 20 year old kid and he was teaching 30 kids to skate on one skateboard. And wow. just like, you know, got on Instagram and all of a sudden I think Braille got involved and sent them a bunch of decks and they got all these people. So all these people took notice around the world and they built them like a $30,000 concrete skate park. Yes. And it's the only concrete like in the entire town because it's all dirt roads mostly except for the highways, which they can't skate on. So it's wild. Kids just go there because it's like, holy shit, what's this? And then they end up getting hooked on skateboarding or dancing or, you know, any of the other programs they have going on there. And it's just it's so amazing to see. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's insane. That's awesome, man. Man, yeah. hit you up about more information on that when we're yeah, done. With absolutely. This. Yeah, so, I'd be happy to. Uh, Real cool, dude. So you said you you kind of stopped doing music and changed your focus to uh, to what you're doing with Ahab. Um, yeah. What, how many? How far along have you got with Ahab? How many drops have you guys had? What exactly do you guys make besides uh, uh, like outerwear? Because I saw a few different items. Yeah. Um, so I'm not the most organized person. <laughs> so I have been doing many drops, um, you know, but I mainly focus on things that are functional. So a lot of it is like the protective SPF sun shirts, but I've also made like these nylon surf hats, but I've gotten into a lot of stuff. I made like a camping survival kit, you know, that had like a, a fire starter and a multi-tool and Kindle to start a fire and like a flashlight and some super glue, like emergency things that you would need, whether you're, on a boat or on your bike or hiking, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, water bottles, flags for boats, um, a lot of gear, man. I'm, I'm kind of running a, a drawing a blank right here. Trying no, to no, no. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I saw <laughs> yeah. a bunch of I saw the camping thing or like the pack, yeah. and I, I was like, no, there was like 
a bunch of stuff on there. I just wanted to make it clear that it's like, you know, it's not just apparel. apparel. Yeah, it's definitely gear as well. So, um, what was that yeah, process yeah. like trying to get all of this different stuff branded to be able to put in? Because you've got your name and your brand on all of it. So it's not like you're just buying the stuff and throwing it together and putting a sticker on a box. You're actually yeah. like branding everything and sending it out. How hard was that? Um, I mean, honestly, it's uh, I've had a lot of experience with doing that kind of stuff. I worked for a screen printer back in the day. My best friend ran a company okay. for 10 years of screen printing. And the guy that I partner with that does all my fulfillment for me is actually like a one stop shop. And uh, oh, he helps perfect. me out with so much of it. So if I can't source something, I'll go to him and he'll source it for me. But in house, he does laser engraving, you know, embroidery, screen printing, DTG, everything, you name it. So luckily, I have a very cool production facility that I work with that most of it I get to do right then and there. Oh, that's which is awesome. amazing. That makes yeah, it super easy lucky to have found that. And that's really the why things launched further because I did the initial drop and got some of this stuff through him. And we started talking about all the options I had. And I was like, shit, let's, let's build this. And, uh, and we did. That's real cool, man. I, I mean, when there's something, an idea that comes along, that's good. And then you put something philanthropic under it like you've done it's almost like those two things combined can't fail you know or or at the very least it's going to produce something and what you do with that something can go to the moon and back you know what i mean oh yeah absolutely yeah I, we Thank know you. we know as artists you can try and try and try for years and decades and nothing works but then that one piece that you do because you're, you know, the most emotions into it, or there's, you're giving all the proceeds away. That's the thing that blows up and, and actually makes something like, I, I really feel like there's so much more to intent when it comes to art and creating things or trying to create something. The intention behind what you're doing with that is, it like is instilled in that piece, yeah, it you like know? It pushes it along, it like drives it. And it doesn't matter if it's a painting or a song or a company. That, yeah. that same process, that same creativity is needed to be able to, to churn it out into and make it what it is. Absolutely. It's interesting you say that because, you know, sometimes when I look back on a lot of the music I made, um, you know, I maybe was like my intent was probably clouded back then. So maybe it was a little harder for people to attach unless you were like living in that world that we were all living in. Uh -huh. Um you know, maybe it was harder for you to hear the intent because it was uh, a little bit convoluted, you know, and then as you get older, you know, you realize things like that and uh, it really makes a difference. Well, well, let's not shortchange you, though. Like even even 10 years ago, you were cr crushing it in the music scene. Like I said before, you were <laughs> like you. you're, you. you're outside the box. You're you're so much energy. Like whenever you're performing, you're you're I swear to God, you're not touching the ground half the show. You're jumping and bouncing and, you know, everything's going on. And that goes a long way too. like, yeah, because you felt that for sure. Absolutely, man. And it creates this it, a persona of of you. You know what I mean? You uh, sitting here talking with you and getting to hang out and just chill at the ranch. I, I know I got a sense of who you are and it's like that mm -hmm. comes out on stage when you were performing always. And it, it, it's rad. Like it makes someone as a listener and a fan appreciate it. The, the music so much more because it's like, Oh yeah, this is my boy. It feels, it feels like that when you, when you're listening, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I, yeah, I can get behind I this. It, you know? And it, well, you've succeeded, bro. Good job. Oh, thank <laughs> you, man. 
Thank you. And I'm not shortchanging it. I mean, you know, my music took me all over the world and I never expected, um, you know, not just North America and Europe, but, you know, I went to Japan multiple times. I played in the Middle East. I played in India. Like, I mean, I got to some places that I never could have ever dreamed that like rap music would take me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I don't look back on that lightly, you know, definitely not at all. Dude, how surreal is it in playing in a place? I don't know, you know, what cities you were in, but like in a place anywhere in the Middle East or India as a, as like an American rapper, like, is it just fucking mind boggling? It was fucking mind boggling. I played in the, it's crazy. In the Middle East, I went to Amman only just in Jordan, which I had no idea what it was going to be like. I had met these dudes over the internet through uh, Scott DeRoss who ran Endemic. That was my label in Montreal. Okay. Um, and we talked for like a year. I was supposed to do a whole week's worth of tours. I was supposed to go all over the Middle East. And as shit happens there, it kind of gets hot and cold. So everything got shut down, but I had already like booked a flight for like five days. And so the only show that I was able to play was Amman, Jordan. And I'm not going to lie. This was like 2008, I want to say. And they tell me that I was the first American to come play in Amman. Like Jay-Z canceled his show that year because he was obviously a lot more uh, to deal with for him than just me rolling in by myself. (laughs) Um, So I went to Amman. I got tan. I grew my beard. I rolled with my uh, Italian passport (laughs) because I didn't know what it was going to be like. Uh, it ended up being super Western and mind boggling in the way that the other artists I met, I played with a group from Palestine that night on July 4th as the American in Amman. And these dudes were called the Ramallah underground. And I thought they were going to be like super because they were very, uh, politically charged, like underground rap from Palestine. And I was like ready for it to be super heavy. And it was, but when I met them, the mind boggling part was like, man, these dudes are just like my friends in Belgium, just like my friends in Saskatoon, just like my friends in Connecticut, you know, like just like my friends in San Bernardino, it's underground rap. It's the same all over the world. Like these dudes, we connected instantly. And I was like, so warm and welcome. And even the show, there was like a couple hundred people at the show and it was like outside and there was a mountaintop with fireworks going off. And I kept joking about how they were doing that for me because it was July 4th. And they thought it was hilarious. They're like, no, there's just like a wedding going on over there. But it's pretty fucking funny that, you know, if there's fireworks going off on July 4th for you. Yeah, what a trip. That's crazy, dude. That's such, yeah. a, that's such a wild experience. It's like, if, I don't know, if anyone listening has like wants to do something that they think can take them to the next level, whether it's art or music or anything, just think of that shit. Yeah, like, being right? the first American to go to Jordan after like the wars and, 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 and play and, a rap show. Yeah, on July fourth. And, and yeah, it's still just like a politically charged, like crazy scene over there. And I don't think a lot of Americans go there ever. I mean, very few, maybe vacationing or whatever. But like, it's a unless you have uh, relatives or like. A purpose not somewhere yeah. you just like end up well Amon, because of the king from what i understood was always you know they have a pretty solid military force and shit doesn't go crazy in Amon, but it goes crazy all over the place around it so when other cities or states get hot a lot of people just come into Amon because they know it's relatively safe mm. And like, I mean, there was an, and, and I just want, I didn't have much money. So like I hired a taxi driver to take me to the Dead Sea, which was like a full day trip. 
and you know there was a military checkpoint with a tank and you know i got to and i didn't have friends with me so i literally hung with this taxi driver while he just like sat and waited for me to go swim in the dead sea and then drove me back at night and i just looked through his glove box and we played all these rad tapes he had and uh <laughs> I wanted to go to Petra, but that was an overnight thing. And I just like, didn't have the money or the time to really do that. So I would just kind of, dude, I was staying at a Best Western next to the Egyptian embassy, which was like guarded <laughs> by military. And they kept trying to like sell me these like packages. And I was like, I'm good. And I would just get a bottle of water and walk. <laughs> and like one day I got lost and it got too hot and I had to come home, like take a cold shower, lay down. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna go in the other direction. And I finally found like the old town Cause I was looking for like the restaurants and the flea markets and it was amazing. But then at the same time I ate lunch at like a three story KFC, which was like a sit down restaurant. Whoa. <laughs> it was crazy. fucking wild out there, man. You hear about like the Western influence in these countries, mm. but like yeah. it, when you, I guess when you see it uh, and you realize how out of place and like how crazy it is, even as an American being familiar with those brands and those kind of like restaurants, it's like, you know, a McDonald's or a KFC is like a hot attraction. And you're like, what? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. The, the, the best thing um, that came out of, I have a, a pretty funny story. When I was leaving Jordan, I was actually flying back to, I don't remember if it was Berlin or Canada at that point. Um, but I, I had a friend that in the group that was with who was traveling back to the UAE. So he was kind of helping me get through the airport. And at one point we got separated and I was just kind of on my own going through security and security at that time, I kind of had like a lot of noise elements in my set. So I had all these guitar pedals and this little box that was basically like a bunch of knobs with a fucking nine volt battery duct taped to the back of it. Oh no. And so they start opening my shit and they do not like what they see. And then they see this little like module falls out. And I was like, oh, it's you know, like, it makes noise. Do you want me to turn it on? And they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> they start like asking more and more questions and kind of pulling me aside. And at that point I start to sweat like, fuck, uh, like I'm leaving, this is over. How, how am I, what am I, what if I get stuck here? What the fuck am I gonna do? Nobody is around that knew I just played a show there that helped me, et cetera. So I kind of started freaking out and so did they. And so they called over their boss. It was like this dude sitting in this other room that was like very annoyed to be having to come over and deal with the situation. <laughs> and like typical, like it's, I don't want to stereotype, but the dude looked like Saddam Hussein. Like he had the generals with the bars and oh, the, the hat and the huge mustache, you know, like the general medals and shit. Oh, like, yeah. He was the boss at the airport and he fucking came over with this scowl on his face and he was looking at me, looking at all the shit and out of my bag, he pulls these stickers that this like French artist had made. And it was a drawing of me holding like a boom box and he kind of held it up to, to my face and he was like, is this you? And, uh, dude everything started going through my head my buddy had just gotten arrested the year before for putting up stickers in new york city and they charged him with like a graffiti and oh, like no. propaganda like this like weird charge so in my head i'm like oh my god these dudes are gonna fucking put me in jail for spreading propaganda in jordan and i'm like yeah that's me and he's like it's beautiful <laughs> and he goes do you make rock or rap and i'm just like fuck here it is 50 50 yeah. and i was like rap and he's like i like rap <laughs> And I was like, do you want one? And he was like, please. And so I'm giving stickers out to all these fucking military dudes. Yeah. And, oh, man. and they packed all my shit up and like put me right at the front of the line. They were like, please come back like anytime. Yeah, Bluebird. And I was like, oh, my oh, fucking God, God. I was dude. sweating so bad underneath all my clothes, man. Yeah. Talk about a fork in the road of life right there. Could have gone <laughs> yeah. anyway. Rock or rap. What if I said rap rock? They would have shot me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, 
Like, we're not big Disturbed fans. Yeah. Fuck Fred Durst. Exactly. What? Oh, damn. Dude, that's, that's a wild, wild. story. Yeah, it had me sweating a little bit when you were just telling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could have ended worse, but it ended up being just a great story to tell. Yeah, I've know? never been pulled into secondary. Fucking thank God, uh, dude. Knock on everything. Like, that's got to be the uh, most crazy experience in a foreign country, especially. Like, yeah. what are they, what do they, what do they think I'm doing? Because yeah, it's not what you're doing. I explain myself? Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, I've had it. I've had some horror stories in Canada. I've had some horror stories in the UK, but that was by far the scariest one. <laughs> Dude, you know? Most out of your element. I'm sure you're just like, Fuck. for sure. Yeah. That's wild, man. Um, yeah. So now that you're focusing on this, you're working at the brewery. What uh, are you, is a hundred percent of what you're doing focused on the uh, anti-hate or what, uh, what are you it working is... on right now? I had, so I had a really cool project uh, called Hurricane Party. That's the last musical project I released. And it was with a partner of mine whose name is Rickolis, And he's from Jacksonville, which is like five hours north of me. Um, him and I had been friends for years through music. Um, we all had the same homies in music. And I had literally like would travel to his house. I would sleep in his studio. And not once did we ever think to like make music together. <laughs> and he is a producer, guitar writer, plays piano, sings. He's kind of like a, a troubadour, I would say. And so, shit, I guess it's like three years ago, we both were kind of in the same position, kind of uh, not very happy with where we were musically. A lot of our friends were doing some, like uh, a lot more successful than us. Mm. And so we started talking and we said, hey, why don't we make a song together? I think he reached out to me and asked if I wanted to rap on a beat of his. And I was like, yeah, why have we never discussed this? And so I went up to Jacksonville for a weekend to like make a, like one or two songs. And we ended up recording like a whole mixtape, like five songs. And we're super surprised at like how much fun we had doing it. Um, without trying to, we ended up making this like party fun. Like if gorillas had a little bit more balls, it was from Florida <laughs> kind of sound. Um, and to our surprise with like that out of that weekend was born this project hurricane party. Um, so we were pushing that over the last couple of years, like very hard. And we released a really rad album called juice on a label uh from here in florida and actually like toured czech republic before our album was out based on just them knowing us from our solo careers uh and so we had the same booking agent and he was like okay so i know what you do and i know what you do but what you guys do together i can't really picture it but i'm gonna book this tour on good faith um right. so that's kind of launched the hurricane party and we were man touring Europe and the US really hardcore for like two years. We had a little uh, Instagram show called HPTV. It was super ridiculous and fun. And the shows were just fucking wild. So it was the first time that I feel like I made music that uh, reached back to my like Miami base roots. Uh -huh. And, you know, I mean, uh, although my shows before were energetic as Bluebird or any other projects I did, it was also very serious and uh, it took a lot of listening and there was a mood to it. Whereas this was like, I was still rapping, but Rick was singing and the beats were just like fucking dance party. Oh, cool. Have a good time. So um, it's like you're, so you really, were being an extra instrument rather than trying to provide the show. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I was actually playing the beats too off my computer in my, um, my SP 404. Oh, dope. It was you're the first live time. Beat? 
it was the first time Rick had performed without like an instrument, like a guitar or like a drum set or something. So he was just singing and I was rapping and uh, playing the beats live. I wasn't playing them out live, but I was definitely like running the beats for the show. Just the two of us. That's rad. That's rad. And I mean, it was like a light show. There was, there was all kinds of shit going on. And uh, we released the record. We did two tours in Europe. We had a bunch of really cool release parties. And then as soon as COVID hit and we couldn't travel anymore, that pretty much ended it because everything we did was based on travel. You know, we would meet Midway in Florida and like Gainesville and Orlando and base our tours off that. Um, so once we couldn't travel anymore, it made it really difficult for sure. us to collaborate. Um, and that just kind of, he moved on and made shit. I think he's made two records in the last year, you know, amazing one piano record, one full band record, and he's continued with his career. But for me, I, you know, I just kind of shifted focus, but that was the last like uh, music project that I actually made and released. Gotcha. That's dope. It sounds, those are the best ones when they come just from like an organic, like, Hey, me and the homie are making something and then boom, it like turns into something, you know? And yeah, the like, Oh shit. Is this a group now? Like, are we yeah. a group now? Yes, we are, man. That's just how it works. Well, and the fact that that you got a tour booked on good faith based off of what you've done in the past has to be so yeah. vindicating as an artist. Like I actually, it, was, it, it was. made That's a it. difference. You know what I mean? All that hard work, all that suffer, like we were talking about before actually made a difference because had you not done that, this guy would have been like, the fuck out of here. Like I, yeah. yeah I never and, and it was only that place, like only the Czech Republic. It's a very specific attitude and our booking agent, our homie, Adam, like, He's that dude. He's like a, a, he's a sports commentator, but he was also in like a very famous hardcore band in the nineties. So he just has this like crazy cross section <laughs> and it's like a booking agency. And he, you know, it's like me and Chesky are some of the only rap that he books. And then he has all these like bands, but because people trust him so much, they know that if like he's sending someone to their little town that they're going to be on the level. And oh, so yeah. it's just like a very weird, uh, specific situation, you know? Dude, Chesky, that is that guy is a talented motherfucker, bro. Yeah, that guy yeah. It blows. It does exactly what you did. It blows my mind every time I see him put something new out because he'll go from like a wild ass underground hip hop style to like an acoustic singing. He has an amazing voice that you wouldn't ex yeah, you wouldn't expect here in his rap. You know what I mean? I think he's the most versatile artist of our generation. I really do. And uh, I mean, dude, now he hangs out with Fat Mike and he's putting out a record on Fat Records. Oh like, my God. He deserves it though. He deserves yeah, it. He's one like, of the most talented motherfuckers out. And, yeah, and he deserves it, man. He fi he is. And I, I hope he finally gets his shine because he has been, since the day I met him, he's been leaps and bounds like beyond anybody that I knew. Um, I originally met him when I was, li you know, I, I, we'd always heard of each other traveling in the circles around Europe and stuff to be like, Oh, do you know this guy Sesky? Nobody knew how to say his name. <laughs> and, uh, I reached out to him when Scott DeRoss and I did this like posse cut with 26 rappers long ago. It was like 2006, 26 rappers. That's the first thing I ever like actually emailed him and was like, Hey, you know, we kind of know each other. Can I get this verse? And like his verse was just, just fucking disgusting. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, can you put my verse like pretty far away from his? Cause I don't really want them to be like next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely hate playing after him. Anytime I've toured with him, I'm just like, just fucking headline, man. Like, I, I don't want to go on after you. I don't even want, I just want to sit in a quiet room and reflect on all my decisions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, shit. Yeah. He's, he definitely has that, like that charisma or, or whatever you want to call it, like both in himself and in his, in his career. I've, I've never met the guy, yeah. but I look in, like I look, still look he, up he, to him. 
if you have a chance to see him live, like he'll sit down and play like a seven minute, like fucking uh, airplane over the sea type, like just beautiful fucking song on his guitar. And then he'll just like drop a beat and like triple time rap. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll pick his guitar up again and like sing a fucking song in Italian while playing like, like strumming flamenco. Like, I mean, yeah. the dude is just fucking crazy. You know, Ridiculous. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that that's super rad, dude. We're gonna I'm gonna have to get with you to see if you can put me in touch with him. See if we can get him oh, on yeah, here. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. So one last thing I want to touch on. Hey, we're we're getting close to time. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate you okay. being here. Um, yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on getting married recently. Yeah. Super yeah. dope, man. Congratulations. And uh, your your old lady is not. Uh, very far from the fame either, man. She's oh, designing dude, she's closer some... than I am, man. She's uh, I'm about to ride some coattails, man. Yeah, yeah. she's doing an am- amazing work, uh, designing like high fashion and and yeah. runway runway clothing. Hell yeah, yeah, and it's all upcycled. Uh, everything she makes is out of like upcycled upcycled dead stock bedding, uh, fabrics, fucking drapes, curtains, pillowcases. Wow, you name it. I didn't realize um, that. That's sick. And she like I watched her like put herself through school. It's kind of crazy how it happened that she was working as a bartender for 10 years. And the day the pandemic, like the first day things shut down in Florida, they fired her. No questions asked. They're just like, yeah, 10 years. Fuck you. And um, she had been hustling vintage and putting herself from school. She put herself through a vocational school, literally just like to learn how to make patterns. And so and the day that she got fired, she got a order from a boutique in Tokyo ordering 10 of her dresses like that fucking day. Oh, wow. I remember her calling me and just being like, I don't know what to do, but I guess I'm just going to make these dresses. And I was like, yeah, this is it. That's a fucking, what's a better sign than that. And, uh, you know, things took a turn and the Tokyo ended up closing after we did. So the boutique was like, I know I ordered these dresses, but I can't really pay for them. And she was like, well, I'm just going to put them up on Instagram and see if they sell. And they fucking did in like 20 minutes. Awesome. Wow. And, that was two years ago. And since then she has literally built her entire business built, making these dresses and selling them on Instagram. Damn, and, dude. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Like this coming year, we just, dude, she was still, she had an article in Vogue a few months ago and she was still making dresses in our bedroom upstairs. Like that wow. was her workshop. <laughs> Every day I woke up in her workshop. We both did. And, uh, we just finally like got her out into her own space. And, uh, you know, the beginning of next year, she has like an entire collection dropping, um, and right now it's like, we're trying to figure out which retailer to go with and mm. it's getting wild, like moving very fast. That's dope. Dude. dude is she, it, is it, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, is it weird waking up on the other side of that where it's like <laughs> not your work studio where shit's everywhere and it's someone else's? <laughs> okay. like it? Yeah. I, I, luckily I have my space as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Personally, it was difficult because it came at a time where everything for me was kind of doing this and everything for her was kind of doing that. So I think I struggled with it, you know, just honestly for a little bit. But in the end, I was just super happy because I watched her work for so long. And also as a person who just like ran around chasing his dream for 20 years, um, you know, she's been with me for nine years. So when we met and we first got together, you know, she had to deal with me just constantly being busy, constantly being on the road, constantly running. Yeah. Um, so it's cool for me to like be at home and have this other source of income. I work at the bar. I don't have to to struggle to pay my bills. And, you know, I was like, fuck it, go. At first I was like, maybe I'm going to have to support the two of us, but she's been holding her own ever since she started, you know, and I help where I can and I'm happy to be here to help. 
and also to help her grow her business. That's awesome. Man. That's so rad, dude. How is she dealing with the uh, the blast off of success or like kind of seeing it priming up and like a she's tough man she's really tough um she holds it well you know there's days where you could see uh some cracks um and i do my best to help her through it but uh she's holding her own man she's she's got it she has a plan she's had it it sounds like she's living like a lot of the artist's dream like where you're making something and all of a sudden that one that break happens and it just catalysts you you know forward yeah. And I, I, in and my opinion, that is probably the scariest part of being an artist is because oh, yeah, when sh- it comes and you're not ready for it, yeah, or yeah. Yeah. out of the yeah. blue. Yeah. I can, yeah. Only, I can only it imagine how wild that must be like the sensation to actually have, have that brewing. Cause, cause right now it sounds like it's still like priming up, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. about to take off. It explode. Yeah. Yeah, it's stressful. You know, the uh, we're investing money, and also it's it's scary when the opportunities start coming. They start coming so fast that you can't necessarily utilize all of them. You know, mm-hmm. so she's like getting all these opportunities that she needs her collection to come out first before she can jump on them. And it's like, well, what if by the time it comes out, these people aren't interested anymore? You know, and uh, that's very stressful. Um, but she handles it like a champ. And awesome. uh, you know, I, I'm I don't know honestly what the next year is going to look like for her and for us as a family. You know, sure, dude. Um, it's a beautiful place ready. to be, though, man. Yeah. To to have all those opportunities at your fingertips. That's that's yeah. awesome, uh, dude. It's amazing. Well, please send our congratulations to her from Ratness. Give her a pat on yeah. the back and a hug from us. Will do. Make sure you congratulate all of her hard work and and also the same to you, bro. I love seeing that you're expanding in so many ways and like still keeping true to yourself like I, I love seeing it bro absolutely man you got to there's no other way to be hell yeah hell yeah well you know some people don't have that mentality and i i appreciate that mentality every time i see it man i see it heavy yeah. in you, so thank you much love man thank you so much for being on absolutely. here um yeah, actually real quick before we cha- transition you want to give your wife a shout out where they can check out her work and and check out yeah, anything? shout out on instagram it's just taylor dory at taylor dory t-a-y-l-o-r-d-o-r-r-y and her website is taylordory.com um a lot of people get super frustrated because they go on there and they're like you're sold out of everything but that's just kind of her steez that's what's um, up. she does a drop every two weeks and you really just got to catch it and generally you got to catch it within an hour or you don't catch it but that will change in the next year because she will have collections available uh, for more and more people. Awesome. Um, but yeah, definitely check her out. She's doing amazing work. Real cool, man. And then also, I mean, um, we'll put it in the description, but your Instagram is Blue Birdie, B-L-E-U-B-I-R-D-Y. The French way, yes, yes. Exactly. Um, and you can check out all the music and singles up to the, what you got going and on now. Beer Tours number one. Beer Tours, yeah. The, the latest music thing I had is I have a, a group that I have with a produced by Scott DeRoss, who's Canadian, and the other rapper is Shibit from Japan. And uh, the project is called Triune Gods. We've had two albums, and this was just the 10 year anniversary of our first album. And we did a re release on vinyl because it was never available on vinyl before. Oh, dope. And so, yeah, the, the links are all up there. It's, it's available in the US, Europe, all over the place. But that's the last uh, music release that I've had. Sick. Real we'll, cool. we'll make sure to include everything like in the description of this too. People can check Absolutely. that out easily. And then do you have yeah, a website please for check out Instagram at anti hate adventure boys, B O I S as well. Yeah. I was, that was the next thing. Where can they find anti hate adventure boys? They can see the yeah. whole a- ahab.life is the website. Sick. Nice. Yeah. 
Well, dude, honestly, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. It was a great conversation, man. Yeah, absolutely. This was great. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's nice meeting you. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you too, man. Good luck in all your endeavors as well, both of you. Thanks, man. Thank you so much, man. We're working out the rat's nest, the stickers, everything. I'm I'm about to check it all out. I dove in a little bit, but I got to dive further. Yeah, Yeah, if you ever need any prints or stickers or anything, bro, we got you. Yeah, definitely. Let's link up. I want to work on some stuff if... uh, if we can make the opportunity happen for sure. Yeah. Always. We're here to help each other. Right. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Hey, stick around for just a minute after we do this outro so we could talk about some things. Yeah, no problem. Cool. This has been another episode of the Ratness podcast. You can catch us every week on YouTube for the video and any streaming platform for the audio. Go to ratnessstickerco.com for shirts, pins, zines, comics, and more. Jimothy. I'm Jim. Jim. That's it.